Kenny Casanova, you can't be wrong. Everything's great about you, brother. All right. <laughs> Everything's great about you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Angelo DeCipio, joined by the Happy Habit Asher, the smartest guy in the room. If you don't believe it, just ask him. He'll tell you every time. We've got a great, great show tonight. Uh, we have a very interesting guy tonight. He's a, uh, a unique blend of T.S. Eliot and P.T. Barnum all wrapped up in the one perfectly dysfunctional character that we lovingly call a professional wrestler. He's best known as a pro wrestler on the Northeast Circuit, and his career led him to the semi-known, but albeit prestigious, New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and I believe that is in Massachusetts. Kenny is a uh, DJ, a master of ceremonies, a shoeshine boy, part-time restaurant dishwasher, and also authors books when he has a few extra minutes. His <laughs> book subjects include Brutus Beefcake, Sabu, Big Van Vader, the legendary late James Harris, Kamala, Tito Santana, and that's just off the top of my head. And would you please welcome to the show a guest we've uh, actually had the bump once before. My apologies to him. Please welcome everyone, Kenny Casanova. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, you're welcome. First of all, Kenny, let me, from the uh, outset, apologize for having to bump you off a, a, a previous show for a lesser-known guest, but it was a very heavy news week, and we had to break some news that week. So, I uh, again, I apologize, and uh, I thank you for joining us tonight. I felt like Matt Damon on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's show, just never getting the spot. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you're, as I said at the, the outset on the intro, you're known as a wrestler. You're not really known, uh, well, you are now. But you weren't really known as uh, an author, but you, uh, like a lot of people, you have a knack for being able to put together the right words for the right people um, and guys who, uh, who aren't really, um, you know, say book savvy or, or uh, you know, or, or tech savvy, that, that sort of thing. Here's the thing, though. Um, so a lot of guys have a story to tell but don't know how to tell it. But when they they latch on to a guy like a Kenny Casanova or even like a Scott Teal, you guys have a way of, you know, uh, wordsmithing this story in a way uh, that it's uh, not only captivating, but appealing for people and easy for them to to read. Which came first for you, the writing skill or the love of wrestling, brother? So, okay, so uh, let me think about that for a second. I started the wrestling stuff in 93. Yes, 93, and I started yeah. teaching. I was also an English teacher come around 2000. So, uh, the, the you know, kind of the blend of both in that uh, as a wrestling manager, which is quite often what I did, but I did wrestle some, uh, you know, you're, you're storytelling. You're the mouthpiece for the wrestler. So I'm telling a story that way, you know, performance-wise and all. Um, and then I got into teaching English. Um, you know, I started to own my craft. A lot of English teachers will tell you that they're failed writers. So, uh, you know, they're, they're out there trying to make a living off of their writing to some degree. So, but they're teaching it, um, you know, and eventually come, uh, 2014 after I had done a lot of wrestling managing and I even played kimchi, 
uh, for Kamala in the Northeast Independent uh, a number of times. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, a lot of people don't know that it was yourself and Steve Lombardi. Yep, he was more on TV. He did the WWE quite a bit. I did a lot of the Northeast, and then there were some other guys like Dan Murphy, who uh, who played uh, uh, Kim Chi in Western New York, uh, early two thousands. That's the uh, PWI editor who used to write up all the five. Yeah, you're, uh, you know I forgot about him, Kenny. I really did. I forgot a little bit too. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, uh, my co-host is uh, Dan, the man, Sebastiano. He's got some questions for you. Dan, I'm going to write it. Don't you proud of me, Dan? Right at the top of the show, I'm throwing you the, the, the question. Go for it. Most I've got to talk on a show in, in weeks. You know <laughs> what? I'm being nice to you. Right <laughs> Don't make me smack you. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's funny. Angelo had, had asked you about the history, kind of a, almost like a chicken and the egg sort of thing about your you know, what came first, the love of writing, the love of wrestling. Uh, obviously, you know, your your biography of the books that you've written, um, if you don't mind me kind of inquiring, did that was that the order? I mean, if that makes any sense, like, did you have a particular wrestler you wanted to write for or a story you wanted to tell uh, that you didn't get to right away? Or did you just kind of, as, the, as they fell in your lap, go with them? Well, uh, so the one who got away was King Kong Bundy. I managed him a lot. King Kong mm-hmm. and uh, we talked yeah. about it some. It just never really happened. He passed before it could happen. I mean, I suppose I could write a biography one day. Um, yeah. You know, but autobiographies tend to sell better with the fans. Fans want to know it from you know the horse's mouth. Uh, but my, if you want to talk about how the first one came about, being as I played kimchi some, I had worked some with Kamala, and uh, he was my first book. Um, I just gave him a call when I saw on a wrestling like news line that he uh, he was losing his the last bit of his mobility, uh, his second leg to diabetes, you know, and uh, and pretty much what happened is, is yeah. the world traveler that was very accustomed to going all over the world. And on his time off, he was a truck driver and yeah. you uh, demobilized him. You made him stay home, you know, so I felt badly and called him up and said to him one day, I said, hey, uh, what do you think about maybe we could put your story together and try to help you pay your medical bills, you know, put a book out. And he said, Kenny, that sounds like a good idea, but I'm going to have you talk to one of my, my financial advisors. So he gives me a phone number. I'm like, okay, I guess. So, um, and I call up ready to pitch, you know, a shirt and type, uh, type of person. And, and I'm calling Coco beware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know that story. <laughs> you know he's all excited and he you know pretty much though he was cool you know he's always been a good friend to uh kamala and he said i want i want you to know kenny you got my blessing to do it if as long as uh uh you remember he's he's somebody's grandfather and i want you to treat him like one i don't want you to treat him like a like a shady promoter you know and i just stuck with me and i said you know what i'm gonna try to do this um you know best i can and i i just let him keep all the money for it he needed it more than i did you know so uh we did pretty well with that, and then other wrestlers wanted me to follow suit, and I've done a bunch of them now, so it's pretty cool. Well, you know what, Kenny? Can I uh, pick up where Dan kind of left off? Uh, I want to jump into to part of that question. Um, given the fact that, that James just passed away, um, his book is actually starting to sell again. Um, are you donating the, the proceeds or profits of that book to his family? Yep. Yeah, it's going, uh, it, it all has consistently gone to his family. So I run his okay. website, 
and uh, he had a number of things on his website. So what would happen is, you know, every month or so, um, I just PayPal him over what what the sales are. So he gotcha. he would pay by tens through there, um, occasional autographed toys and stuff like that. Also, people would put um, requests in, and we would uh, have them mail stuff to him. Think sort of like the Hogan Beat Shop. You could mail in memorabilia, and, and Kamala would sign it for like twenty bucks or something, and send it back. You yeah. know, I became his uh, agent to some degree, his his brand manager, I guess. So. I got to know James a little bit uh, while he was up here in the Northeast for a while. Right. Um, he was a a, a a frequent visitor to my father's restaurant in Camden, New Jersey. Oh, okay. And uh, he worked for my. Uh, my other friend, uh, the late Larry Sharp, and Larry was my friend and mentor uh, in wrestling. And, uh, and you know, Larry uh, would hire Kamala often, you know, to work shows because um, he could get him uh, at a, you know, he's pretty much at a moment's notice. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately for for Larry, unfortunately, uh, you know, James wasn't getting. Uh, you know, the kind of bookings that he uh, he had when when he was on television, of course. But it looked uh, it worked out for us because we got to see Kamala regularly up here. Right. Um, the fact that the book is called Kamala Speaks, how much input? To, and I'm sure he had some, but how much of the verbiage is actually James Harris? Uh, and how much is Kenny Casanova? So, you know, that's a good question. And I would say that um, I tried to keep it uh, as much and authentic as him as possible. But from time to time, you'll go into history and you'll go into match results and things like that. And um, those moments are quite often, um, as is any ghostwriter type situation, uh, you know, the uh, ghostwriter or the co-author um, taking some liberties, trying to put that information into their voice. And and I did that here and there. But what we really tried to do is James is kind of fun and, you know, um, pretty laid back and stuff is um, whenever that would happen, I tried to find the funny in everything. That's basically how um, I approach a lot of these books and try to keep it light. Um, I knew that Kamala wasn't like a Rhodes Scholar scholar and isn't going to be using like super high vocab words and, and such. So, you know, um, same with Sabu, you know, but maybe Tito Santana would more because he's a teacher himself. So there might be a few more, uh, you know, places where you would um, embellish and try to flower up the language just a little bit. But uh, um, yeah. yeah, so I, I'd say you want to say probably 80, 20, maybe as far as uh, um, percentage wise. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, you know, it's actually funny um, uh, to continue off of what Angelo was was just asking. Um, you mentioned you wanted to do more uh, autobiographies to, to get the words from the wrestlers. And obviously you, you mentioned Tito Santana being a teacher and there's been several high profile wrestlers who have been educated and, and well-spoken both in and out of the ring. I'm curious, and I'm not asking this as a, a drop dirt question, but was of, of the wrestlers that you worked with to write books, which one of you surprised, which one surprised you the most for how well-spoken or how uh, articulate they could be with their stories? That's a good question too. Uh, probably Vader. Um, Vader's super smart. Um, uh, you picture him, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, from the Rocky Mountains and all his crazy stuff that he would say, you know, uh, a WCW um, against Sting or what have you and him getting, you know, excited. But quite often he had a mouthpiece because that was the way to go. Uh, the monster usually had a manager that would do the talking for him and then his um, language would be his actions in the ring for the most part. Um, you wouldn't sit down and have a conversation that often with Godzilla, you know, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. right. Uh, to keep the character going, usually that would be the move. And he followed that um, pretty well. So um, in doing his book, he was very particular about wording. Very, very much so. And, well, Kenny, uh, before you go too far, because I think I know where you're going with this. Um, you know, I had Scott Teal here. Uh, and, you know, Scott began Vader's book. Um. And they uh, and they actually talked, uh, you know, about putting a book together. You, you're aware of that. Yeah, you know, I think he told me this just recently. Uh, I didn't realize it at first. Um, we yeah, had and, and actually Scott wanted me to to kind of get the rest of the story from you um, because you actually wrote Leon's book. Um, and and I had, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, Scott Teal was here. And said this himself, so you can go back to the, the show and and sure. watch it. Um, that he gave Leon a a recorder, and uh, you know gave him a tape recorder and tapes to you know to uh, to speak into and and tell his story. And he sent him a list of questions, and you know Leon was just kind of very, to use Scott's terminology, very difficult. Um, to work with did you find that to be the case was he was he a hard ass to work with uh okay so to politically answer this yes he was difficult <laughs> to, to work with however understand why he had a very um vision of what he wanted it to, to come out like and um we rewrote the book a number of times um right it changed drastically um, maybe we had finished about, it was 90% done. And then he, he got a diagnosis that he had two years to live. So yeah. then being a, you know, a thoughtful individual, um, he knew that he was, he had an expiration date and eventually, uh, he was going to be gone from this world and wanted yeah. to not leave, uh, well, Kenny, and that's a great, that's a really, really great spot. Um, and then not to interrupt you, but it's really, really important that I say this while it's fresh. People forget that, that basically Leon had been given, you know, and I hate to use this term, but a death sentence, basically. Yeah. Um, but what was he trying to say? What, what did he want to convey? And, and what ended up being conveyed? And how, I guess, how far or how close to his original vision were the two of you able to get. Yeah. So starting out, he was a little bit more um, unfiltered, a little bit more. Um, for instance, uh, you probably heard the story of Paul Orndorff getting in a fight with Vader backstage, kicking him with flip flops. Yeah. You know, side of the story. The shower fight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And was pretty much like screw Paul Orndorff. That was, you know, BS. It was as much his fault as it was mine, this and that. And uh, but then the second time around, he he was more, uh, you know, mindful and uh, said, you know, this was a long time ago. I've made peace with uh, him. 
Um, I don't want to, to delve in uh, negativity. I'll give you a little bit of the story, you know, and it was more like that. So um, it was less angry. And I think he softened a few places um, where he may have been angry in the past, knowing that with him gone, uh, that's what was going to be left behind. That's what people were going to remember him by. So we changed a lot of the tone in the book. And I think it was smart, though. I think it was good because, I mean, maybe in places where he would bury Michaels and Barry Flair for some business thing that he didn't agree with or, um, you know, what have you. Uh, He went back and he said um, he pointed out different times where uh, he was able to make peace again with maybe Michaels at Hall of Fame where he wasn't going to put that in before. And then he did. They had a little nice. We put that in the book, you know. It's interesting because I'm I'm looking at the book covers. By the way, you can't see this because you're not here. But behind me. uh are a number of your book covers uh, that I have displayed. Um, and it, I see, with the exception, the only exception of Kamala, the, there are a number of people up there who have been categorized from one time or another of being difficult either to work with or do business with. And I'm looking at Brutus Beefcake. I'm looking at Sabu. I'm looking at Greg Valentine. I'm looking at Tito Santana. Uh, and, of course, I'm looking at uh, Leon, Leon White, and uh, James Harris, Kamala. Now, with the, like I said, with the exception of Kamala, who you never hear a cross word about from anyone, um, all of these other guys have had a reputation at one time or another of being, you know, a little hard to, to do business with or work with. What was your take on uh, on all? Let's just I'll give, we'll go name at a time. Uh, Dan, why don't you um, why don't you explore the rest of that with with Kenny? Let's talk about. Let's start with like Tito. Okay, I mean, um, we you touched on Vader and you mentioned uh, Tito being a, a teacher. Um, I my experience is uh, you know a little hit and miss. He can be a little rough around the edges, for lack of a better term, uh, especially from the promotion side usually other wrestlers uh, are speak more kindly of him than people he's worked for at least in my experience i've never never met or worked with him um I, so i'm curious we'll start there and then we'll go around did you have any issues running into that like how how did that narrative come about so i'm confused you mean did you say tito or vader there uh, no no we we were we were i kind of transitioned from vader i was talking about tito santana okay yeah yeah um no, actually, you know, what probably made that easier is as a kid growing up, um, I was a super fan of Tito Santana. He was the one that uh, was more uh, relatable. Hulk Hogan was a, like, a, like a god. He was like a superhero, you know? Right. So, But Tito, you could kind of like picture, um, you know, being more of a common person and rooted for him to win, you know, um, rooted for him to, to beat Valentine and regain the belt. So like the underdog right. kind of after his leg was broken and this and that. So... Um, I think probably I was uh, more um, happy to do his. Um, maybe, you know what, I hadn't thought of this before, but you guys say as a collective, uh, you, you think it might have been more difficult to, um, to tackle these. Well, um, probably I was given a little bit of a pass, maybe a little hall pass from the guys, because I was also a wrestler. I was also a manager. So they weren't dealing with a shirt and tie. They were dealing with a guy that was in the locker room that had worked with them before. And they right. sort of true capacity. So that probably helped. True. Well, yeah. You know if, what? I, yeah, I didn't think about that, Dan. That goes a long way that, back in that. That's the, a fair point. If, 
if I can expand on that a little bit, um, I'm too growing up. I was a fan of Tito Santana. He all he did have one very dominant, prominent reputation, and that's that he was always a reliable workhorse. And I know little bits like uh, other than Hulk Hogan, he's the only other performer in WWF that had a match at the first nine WrestleManias, and he was Intercontinental Champion, and he you know Survivor Series and any events you needed him for. Did that? Did that workhorse mentality and the fact that he still, I think it was last, I believe it was 2018 was his last official match. And I mean, still, you know, kicking and working. Did that, did that attitude, that workhorse, the, the go, 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 did that come through in the book or was he, as he uh, got older, a little more laid back? As far as wanting the product to get out, is that what you mean? Like pushing to make it happen? Or, or just, just kind of, you know, calling you a couple times a day. How's this going? How does this sound? You know, some people are a little more driven. Uh, than than others when it comes to having a ghostwriter. Yeah, no. Well, he was he was particular in that he wanted it to read a certain way. He um, he's always been, um, you know, the baby face. He's never was heel. I don't right. no heel promos of him in existence. <laughs> so um, I don't think people know what he would sound like angry. You know, unless you were really a shady promoter that screwed him somewhere. You know. You're right. But, uh, <laughs> as far as that's concerned, he was always super nice, super gentleman, super friendly when we talked. Um, he wanted to be portrayed as such. He didn't want the book to come off negative, bitter. Um, you know, uh, there was a book that came out before this one. Uh, it was about 150 pages or so, where it was a little bit more bitter sounding. And it really wasn't, in my opinion, it didn't sound like his voice to me when I read it. It wasn't that it was a bad book, but it was written at a different time. Um, it was written... Uh, early 2000s maybe or maybe even before that and mm. it was one of these like library jobbers that like you would go to you know a school library and there is a little thin book about tito santana mm. yeah uh, so this is four times the size and i think we more encapsulated uh you know uh, the kayfabe the behind the scenes type stuff now um the old book kind of read like um, you know, I tried my very hardest to win that night, but I just didn't win, you know. So but this one would explain why he didn't win, you know, politics or something. So it's more about right. the valley. And I think it's more along the lines of who he is now, which everyone says is a super gentleman, nice guy to everybody. Well, if if I can actually one, one final follow up, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to have the expansion. A few weeks back, we had uh, Brian Pillman Jr. on the show. Oh, and nice. It was- it was one of the more interesting interviews we've done because he bounced back and forth in the interview in and out of kayfabe. Like he was telling the story about getting picked up for this battle Royal. And he's like, you know, he called me and he told me, look, you're going to go in, you're going to be 10th and you're going to, and he starts telling the story like a book, a book, like he, how it got booked. And then he's like, and I went out there and I, I had, you know, dig my hardest. And, 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 he, and I tried then he gets, real hard. Yeah. He's, he's in character. <laughs> You and remember I, that, Dan? Yeah, exactly. And he hilarious. bounced back and forth between Brian Pillman Jr., the character, and Brian Pillman Jr. telling us the story of his career. I'm curious, from your perspective, because some of these guys, Beefcake and, and Greg Valentine, could start you know tell start talking stories now and 100 years from now still be talking. Uh, did, they, did they have any, I'm just curious, like kind of maybe a force of habit or whatever, fall in and out of character, or was it a lot more just straightforward? I don't think with me as much, but it could be in some cases where um, they had told the same um, the same all right the same bullshit over and over that they don't remember anymore. If that makes sense, it, it absolutely does. <laughs> so uh, 
let me let me give an example of this. If you go, if you listen to a shoot interview with like Hacksaw Duggan, he'll tell the same kind of stories over and over and over again because those are the stories that the fans really like. They they want to hear about him and the Iron Sheik. They want to hear about him coming up with Andre and stuff. Yeah. And and I think some of these guys have the same story that they've told um, so much that story gets better and better and better. But it's not necessarily truer and truer and truer. Sometimes. Um, What's the Dusty Rhodes line? Like, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. Right. And so they say that they, Kenny, they say that in in the newspaper business. In (laughs) fact, that quote, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, Dan, the smartest man in the room, Sebastiano, uh, that quote is attributed, I believe, to William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. uh, Never. How, how did it go? Never Never. The, it's uh, the 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 quote was there were there were two quotes and and then Kenny just nailed one of them. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. The other one is when rumor is greater than truth, print the rumor. <laughs> that's great. That, so. And that's true. That mm-hmm. William Randolph Hearst. Check it Remember, out. I'm not, you, I'm not even I'm not I'm not even ribbing you. You really you have to. Nice. You can't make this shit up, bro. Okay. <laughs> and I tell people that's my tagline. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> you know, Kenny, we had um, recently uh, Dan and I had Stephen Plim on the show. Now, you probably don't know who Stephen Plim is, but he wrote a book about his friend Tiny Tim. He was Tiny Tim's best friend and manager. Oh, nice. And one of the things that he, and he told Dan and I, but one of the things that he debated uh, in putting this book together was how much of, you know, how much do I put in? How much, you know, of the salaciousness do I put in? Because, you know, Tiny Tim was a notorious horn dog, <laughs> but he was also a devout Catholic. Uh, and prayed five times a day. Very late. I mean, he was like a real, what's the word he used, Dan? Dichotomy, a real dichotomy? Yeah, it was a, it was a the guy was the, the walking contradiction. Yeah. And <laughs> so, like, when, when you have a guy, if you've ever had a guy like that in wrestling, and I know a couple off the top of my head right away, and I'll keep my mouth shut for a while. Um <laughs> But if you ever had a guy like that where you like you have to question how much of this do I put in? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though. I, it's when I'm the ghostwriter for uh, a wrestler who's taking liberties with a story. Yeah, uh, I know a guy that goes the opposite way and challenges them and really pushes to uh, make them tell the truth. And maybe even so much so that now they're not being true to themselves. And you're not getting the actual story the way that the wrestler would tell it. So um, I say, if they lie in the in the story, get him to tell the lie the best he can, and challenge them and say, "Hey, uh, you know, fans might call bullshit on this because I've heard them say this before that they don't believe you about this. What do you have to say about that?" And if they stay strong to their story, then you got to kind of print it because you're their mouthpiece and, and that and you're writing for them. Mm-hmm. You're not uh, you're not writing like a um, like a newspaper uh, guy who's seeking the truth at all costs. By the same token, if you tell the same bullshit long enough, it becomes the truth after a while. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. 
It's, I mean, it's true. I mean, Dan, pick up on uh, uh, somebody like that. Here's a guy. Uh, Dan, cause I, I'm going to have to throw this to you because if I even start with this guy, I'm going to go off. <laughs> Brutus Beef, Ed Leslie, Brutus Beefcake. Right. Have a conversation with Kenny about Brutus. <laughs> well, the, the the man of a thousand gimmicks and 990 of them were terrible. Um, the you, man of 200 personalities, too. I'll right. You, you know, uh, it, I, I don't like speaking ill, but from my experience, he, Ed Leslie is a notorious bullshitter. Um, some of the stories he tells are very much exaggerated and unfortunately he the the reputation and correct me if i'm wrong here kenny uh his years coming up with hulk hogan is another one who is notorious for stories that are expanded and wait a minute you know every time you hear it uh the the the, the weight's a little more the the amount of it money's tweaks. a little more you know um, it, and he it, tweaks it every time. It, exactly. You said you were saying you don't you don't challenge I'll them. Shut you up don't, now. Go ahead. You don't push that in. I'm curious when you get somebody like say Ed Leslie or uh, some of these other performers who you know better than than I being backstage who might be telling the same load of bullshit a hundred times. Um, you you feel comfortable putting your name on a book that you know has a bullshit story in it, or are you more? putting your name on the fact that like, look, this is the story that Ed Leslie told me. This is his words by, by the way, the agreement you have, the way the book comes off, it's not necessarily you writing it. If that makes any sense. Oh, you know, I, I get and um, by all means, I do tell them what I, I think the fans would think. And in fact, uh, if you read those sections where maybe um, I may have been questioning, you know, maybe I had an argument with Vader about what I thought happened, what he thought happened. Um, you may even say, you may even see it where it says, uh, my ghostwriter, Kenny Casanova, believes this. I believe this, you know, and I, I, I would drop it in if I thought that uh, something might um, uh, make me look like I'm losing credibility because it was out there. But it, it doesn't happen that much. Usually what I would do is I would ask the right questions and I think I would get the story told the right way, um, the way that I think it should be told. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, if Vader says I won the fight against Paul Orndorff and everybody else says that Paul Orndorff won, I can't just have Vader say, um, you know, uh, <laughs> um, the opposite of what he he believes, you know. Right. So that's where we would tell it from his perspective and the way that he tells it all the time, you know. So, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, then, then let me let me expand on that a little bit too. Then, um, where you you definitely are are good to mention things. How about uh, a narrative that I, I hate to say it because you know so many and we've talked about this many many times on the show that that you know the the older wrestler is such a dying breed that there's so few eyewitnesses left to certain narratives. And maybe, you know, uh, you're talking to somebody, say, like Greg Valentine, who's been around for so long, where he, there might be half a dozen stories. He's the only person in the room st that's still left. But the caveat is, you know, that's not the way I'd heard it. So, you know, from Valentine's lips, uh, X, Y, he said X, Y, and Z happened. And I, I you know, like, it, it, I, I, 
I'm trying to word this properly where, you know, he, you might get stories where you only have one eyewitness left, but you still is not a credible eyewitness. If that makes any sense. Dan, can, can I, can I chime yeah. in here for just a second? Uh, Kenny, when I had Scott Teal here, uh, uh, Scott was also here with the Nikita Brezhnikov, good friend of mine. Sure. And I know, you know, Nikki too. Um, and I basically asked the same question that Dan is asking you. Uh, and it's a, it's a slippery slope with some guys. Um, I said to Nikita, um, cause we were talking about his book when it was real. Um, cause Scott, you know, Scott Teal uh, co-wrote Nikki's book with him. And I, I asked him, have you ever experienced a story? That's your story that, you know, in and out and had someone try to correct you on what you know is your own story. And he said, yes, numerous times. And I think what Dan is getting at, and it's along those lines is, you know, like, you know, it's like, what do you do? Like if there's no one else to bear witness to your story, do you take it for the, for what it is? Do you corroborate it with, you know, the, the next of kin or, so, or the someone once removed from the story? How do you validate the veracity uh, of something, especially if it's something uh, of significance? Most of the time, you know, we're talking about wrestlers, it's bullshit stuff. But once in a while... In the case of, you know, and I hate to bring his name up because he was a friend of mine and I knew him, but in the case of Jimmy Snooker's book, which ended up, you know, biting him on the butt, you know, um, okay. like how much. I think of his book quite often. You know where I... I'm going, Kenny? What's that guy's name? Uh, Chatham? I can't think of his name. The author uh, who wrote the Jimmy Snooker book. Um, basically, he filled in some blanks. And he filled in blanks um, that would have been better left unfilled because by him trying to figure out what happened, people said, wait, this is a totally different story than Jimmy used to tell. And what that did was that opened up a can of worms again legally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so by throwing in what he thought was true against what he said, um, he might have had a hand in that guy losing his life because he got stressed out and he, uh, you know, went to court and the whole deal. They revisited this stuff that had been buried long ago. Now, um, yeah. I don't want to take anything away from the other side of that, you know, if, if, the, if there's truth behind that. But that, it, that, it, that was gone. That story, he was, I think, uh, let out of that uh, legally, you know, so they brought it back yeah. up. And the guy passed away soon after that from stress and, and medical issues, you know. So um, yeah. if you're a ghostwriter and you fill in the blanks in such a manner that um, may not be true and just make for a good story, um, you have a responsibility because you could be causing something like this, you know. Dan, explore that with Kenny. Yeah, no, that's that's a, a great point, Kenny. The the stories that came up but not just between the book but also the local newspaper that was running an anniversary story on uh sergeant uh on on um uh what was her name uh sergeant sergeantino uh on on her death that 
you know, you, you had these, these, okay, well, we've got this book that just came out and here's what I'm hearing. Um, so where do you walk us through that from an author standpoint to kind of expand on your previous answer where somebody has, I mean, some of these guys, let's be honest, these wrestlers, you got stories involving family and friends and, you know, boys at the bar, girlfriends on the side, where do you draw the line or, or walk us through the mentality of, I want to put the story in the book, but we got to be really careful how we word it. Uh, so sometimes less is more with some of that stuff. And especially, uh, in Jimmy's case, I would, you know, I would, I would venture to say Jimmy probably never even read his book. And that, while that might sound odd, I'm not going to point fingers, but out of my books, there are a handful of, um, there are a handful of the guys that I work with that I know also never read the books. They just didn't read them. They, they went along with what I said. They trusted me. And uh, we put the book out. I bet there are sections of the books that they didn't bother to really read. They said, yeah. you know, write it like this. And that's how we wrote it. And then we pushed the book out. Um, well, as- now, Kenny, can I stop you for a second? Because that's a really, really interesting point. Mm-hmm. Um, how often are you given carte blanche to just go balls to the walls and tell the story? It depends who it is. And um, just to give you uh, a mindset, think about these wrestlers that have cut like I said, the same promos over and over and over again for 30 years. True. How often do you guys go back and watch the, the full tape of your show? You probably don't, all right? So it's almost the same thing. I know as weird as that sounds, I'm pretty sure Tito read the whole book cover to cover. Um, he told me he liked 98% of it. There was a little bit of some rat talk in there that he didn't like or something like that. He's like, the rest of it I, I was really good with, you know? Um, uh, but that led me to believe that he didn't read some of the early draft because I'm um, losing me here or something's going on. Okay. Uh, he maybe didn't read some of the early drafts or something like that. But I think he read the finished and, and liked it and mm-hmm. stuff. But I don't think Kamala read all of his book, for, you know, right. for example, and maybe Vader didn't read all of his book. They're not big readers and they've, they've told all those stories before. And mm-hmm. if they trust me, they, you know, they're, they're fine with that. But I think what happened maybe in Jimmy's case is he did the same type of thing, you know, what happened like this brother, then you go and I uh, did it like this and that, you know, and he didn't get enough information. If you've ever, same with Kamala, when you talk with both of those guys, they're not men of many words. So you have to kind of go back, listen to other people tell the story and fill in the blanks sometimes. Um, and again, this, this idea of being a ghostwriter, filling in the blanks is one of the reasons why Mick Foley ended up writing his own book. He didn't like the way the original guy filled in the blanks. He said it wasn't me. And he did his own. And he really raised the measuring stick and created almost like the wrestling um, autobiography that we see to, today. Like uh, the way that everybody has kind of moved up to that level. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a uh, um, lot of quotes, a lot of talking to other people, um, doing your research, you know, to get that story right. And if you can't mm-hmm. fill in the blank correctly and there's some doubt and you think that that could cause some problem. Then you paraphrase. You don't put it all in there. You give the Cliff Notes edition a little bit. You know, Kenny, that's a really, really good point. I want Dan to pick up on this one. Um, Mick Foley uh, is a unique individual. There are, uh, unfortunately, not enough Mick Foley's around. Um, He's a really bright guy, and he knows how to wordsmith his his story. is it a danger? Is it a slippery slope or is there danger in a wrestler insisting? I hate to use that word, but insisting or 
demanding that they are the only ones who can tell their story. Um, and how how much risk is there involved in a wrestler who insists on writing their own story against, you know, uh, against, uh, what, what would you say, Dan, against um, uh, intelligent advice? <laughs> you know, I mean, what would, uh, you know, go ahead, jump in there, brother. Rescue yeah, it, me. <laughs> that, actually, the, uh, uh, you, you mentioned Mick Foley. One of the, my favorite reviews I've ever read was uh, the New York Times review when his book reached number one. And they said that it it proved that wrestling fans can finally read something longer than a tattoo. But um, <laughs> you remember that you uh, uh, Mick Foley's a great example. And, and Kenny, you mentioned it, how he kind of raised the bar. But you you also d- did that not also open the door to your I mentioned like Hulk Hogan earlier and some of the other uh, whether it be, say, uh, friend of the show, for example, like someone like a Vince Russo or or an Eric Bischoff, who are very open to tell stories that are completely contradictory to the way other people in the room tell the same story. Um, exactly. And, and I'm curious, did, did the fact that Mick Foley was able to write his own words from start to finish, tell the story from his perspective? Yes, you that raised the bar because of how good that book was, and it's led to you know people like The Rock and Jericho and others having uh, also their own success writing. But does that telling your own story, the entire burden is now on him. He doesn't get to say it was a miscue with the writer or, uh, Oh yeah, I, that wasn't, that was a publisher choice, something like that. And I think that's kind of where I was going with it. And I was, I was getting, I was muddling myself, but thank you. Because that's really basically where I was going with it. Okay. I'll shut up now. (laughs) guys. Yeah, I mean, and some guys just don't have the power. You know, they just don't have, they're not that good at written, at the written words. So that's why some people that will do very well with having their uh, their scribe do it for them, you know. Um, Mick Foley, though, I think he did it all handwritten on legal yellow pads that he carried around with him. And whoever it was that actually transcribed that, all that, God bless them. They had something like 30 legal pads or something that they <laughs> didn't type, you know. Um uh, but yeah, so um, again, filling the blanks is huge. How you choose to do it. Um, the uh, I think uh, after Mick Foley read his copy of Vader, I sent him a copy of the Vader book when it came out because he wrote a uh, forward for it, a very nice forward for it, and uh, sent it to him. And he said, I understand there are some places that you um, filled in the blanks. And he's like, and when I'm looking at them, he said that uh, I wish you were around back early on because you seemed to capsulate him correctly in the areas where I think you had to fill in blanks and you made a much better experience for the reader. And that, and that was like, for me, that was my WrestleMania reading his review of my book. Oh, that was awesome. You know? So he's very, um, very happy with the way that I filled in the blanks. And I think part of that could have been because I had been in locker rooms before, you know, and, uh, Part of that is I have an English background, so I was able to maybe craft the words in, in a decent way, you know. Kenny, have you ever flatly refused to pen anyone's story? Uh, <laughs> I don't really have enough time to tell the whole story. By the way, guys. Well, I'm you- asking. You know why I'm asking you, don't you? Uh, did Scott Teal say something? Did you get this from Scott Teal? Now you're going to just work me to say it. But uh, uh, I no, started. I, I, well, no, I'm basically. I, I heard, I'll, I'll just, I'll fill again. Here you go. Um, 
No, I I heard that you were approached to write a book by this, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give the guy you know credibility or credence, but I heard that you that you flatly refused to work with this particular wrestler. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Well, I, I didn't. If this is Sid. I started Sid. Thank you very much. I didn't want to say his name. Okay. I was going to wait for you to say. <laughs> I started. I started Sid's book. Sid um, Vicious. Thank you. Started his book, and then what happened was, is there was a previous writer, there was a writer before him, and that guy uh, decided, you know what? I have a draft of the book I wanted to put out. We had a falling out. Screw Sid. I'm putting it out anyhow. Now he doesn't have the right to do that legally. Oh. And uh, so he put it out quickly under like a, um, what do you call it? Like a vanity type press or like, a you know, a quick, quick print on demand kind of service. So he made a copy. Yeah. yeah. I bought a copy of it right when it came out the day that it came out. Um, and Sid quickly, um, got it tied up in, in, in the courts, you know? So like said that I own half of what went into making what you just put out. And I don't want it released. So it's in the courts now. Sid wanted to continue with the book. And I said, I don't want to continue with the book at the moment until that's all, all that stuff is done. Because yeah. it, what could happen is if I start writing something now, this the original guy could say that I'm using his, uh, if, his ideas on stories and yeah. get plagiarism on that. In fact, that guy warned me he would do that. So that's why well, and yeah, and that was the story I heard and I didn't I didn't know how much I, you know, I, I had the right to say cuz you know, I know there's a story right. there and I know it was a great story, but I had to walk the tightrope in do I, you know, drop Sid's name? Yeah. You know, will will he you know refuse to do my show? Like who gives a shit? Yeah. Um, because I don't really care about having them on anyway. I don't like them. Um, so picture but that Sid, was the story. Yeah, yeah that was the one. Sid is suing the other guy, saying that uh, you can't use my information. Uh, I would say that the other guy would be in in uh, perfect uh, legal uh, validation to do likewise and sue somebody else if a book is coming out that he feels that he got the, pulled the information out of Sid and now Sid is like rehashing that to another author, you know, a certain, but, you know, I, but, and, you know, on the other hand, and, you know, we, we discussed it previously at, on some level, Sid is another one of those guys that Dan referred to earlier who, you know, you never, you're never going to get the same version of the same story. There's always going to be a tweak, right? You know, here and there. You know, um, Sid is just one of those guys who can't, for whatever reason, can't remember the same lie, so he like <laughs> embellishes on the lie. You know what I mean? Yeah, he. He he he's also um, having. And it really seen, makes for a bad book if you. I mean, if you're going to write a book. Well, the, Sid, Sid's actually a great example. And Kenny, let me ask you if you've encountered anything like this, other than the the re, uh, reputation for flowering stories. I've I've seen enough interviews. I've actually crossed paths with him in real life as well. He also has a really unique vocabulary in that he'll tell a story and he'll say 
put words together and you kind of understand what he's saying, but I've never heard anybody say it specifically in that way. That I can only imagine trying to scre- transcribe that in, into a book. Someone talking like that has got to be difficult. Do you find yourself sometimes with even with people? I hate to say this because I, I know no better way to say it and sound not sound mean, but with people that speak English but there's still a language barrier. Uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, Sabu is tough to get some stuff out of. Oh boy! Um, and Sabu talks like a sailor, and he, you know he'll he'll admit that. <laughs> I I so he he's like a sailor, in the, you know, back in the well, 70s. In fairness, in in fairness to Terry, though, yeah. part of the problem is you know you have to if you want to deal with Terry, you have to deal with Terry's wife. <laughs> that's and that's part. And you know you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, Kenny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's the same with uh, Brutus's wife. I did pretty much you know a lot of the business stuff through her. Oh yeah, Missy, sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, when I worked with uh, Hacksaw, like I did some, uh, I did a stand-up comedy tour with Hacksaw Duggan. Like I promoted it and helped him and all with that. You know, God bless like, you. <laughs> but the thing with the wives, though, if you picture this, though, they while they may be difficult, it's that level of difficulty that's actually probably kept these guys on the up and up and kept them going because they may have been, you know, their own worst enemy and they could have been dead in a ditch if it weren't for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, but no, I hear what you're t- what you're saying. And um, I also don't want to rush this, but I have my own podcast at 830. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I want to we have an hour anyway. Um, But thank you so much uh, for joining us. I I didn't want to, like, not have you on because I I felt bad that I bumped you. You know, and to like one guy, we can just go in depth. Like, uh, like I said, with Sabu, um, after I wrote the first draft. Um, I don't know, uh, for people who know Microsoft Word, if you hit Control F, it does a find. So I did Control F, and then I added U-C-K and found like 7,000 of them, and I had to like cut that down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, Kenny Casanova, thank you, my friend. You're a welcome guest here anytime. I hope to have you back again. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. And I'm sorry to cut it short like this, uh, but if people want to check out my books, you can go to WOHW.com and you can see the whole list of them there. And plug your podcast, please. Yeah, so the podcast will be on at 830, uh, Wrestling Bookmarks. What I've done is I got guys like Scott Teal and Ian Douglas and other good writers out there for wrestling. Um, we've got it. We've built a, a group of us. And every um, Thursday night at 830, um, a few of us come on and we interview um, different people. We have a photographer on tonight from Canada uh, named Andrea Kellaway. She's really good. Um, and also in the future, um, we will be running on October 4th, uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club's first virtual online pay-per-view on Fight TV, where we're going to actually try to help them get some memberships and, uh, you know, in this in this year where they had to cancel. So Oh, beautiful. And that that's a great segue into uh, one of our upcoming guests is B. Brian Blair. There you go. Talk to him about it. He'll uh, he'll tell you. Um, basically, oh, absolutely. We, we ripped oh, off. I'm sure, you know, Brian's not shy. I'm sure he's going to promote the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sounds good. Kenny, thank you so much, brother. Take care. Have a, have a great show tonight. Thanks for having me on. Too. Thank you, Dan. You guys. Yeah, take, take care, care. brother. Thank you. Bye. That was good. That was a, a nice, short, concise to the point interview. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, Kenny's a great guy. Kenny Casanova, you know, he's a young guy. He's like he's been me 49 or 50, but he's been around. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's a, he's a character. I mean, he's that's what you know. You and I talk about Dan. The right. where are all the characters? Characters, exactly. Yeah, and and Kenny's a character, but well, he's he, one of those characters, like old school characters that they had to be able to do everything, and Kenny can do everything. Right. He was also an like one of the in the in the frame of the old school manager that you don't really see much anymore. You know, you might have a mouthpiece. Yeah. Oh my god! But I mean, I miss those days. He, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this the other day, watching uh, just old, like reminiscing old pay per views, and it was the uh, it was the old. We watched an ep- old episode of the Royal Rumble, and then an episode of Survivor Series, and I think they was both. I want to say eighty, was it ninety and ninety one, respectively. And every match, everybody that came out, you know, every t- heel team had two or three managers, and there was mouthpieces, and it just, yeah. it, you know. I mean, at one point in the Rumble, you had, I think, six or seven managers around the ring, you know, and, and it just gave this feeling of the spectacle being bigger than it was. You don't see that and the much. the only but- thing better than that, Dan, the only thing better than that spectacle was the spectacle of the managers getting into it with each other. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, uh, watching, you know, like like Hulk Hogan or, you know, I, I enjoyed watching somebody finally get their hands on Bobby Heenan or, or Jimmy oh Hart <laughs> or, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the wizard or, or even um, you know, some of these guys where it's like you, you, you want to see them get popped more than you do the, 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 the champ defend the title. I know for real. Oh, my God. Oh, by the way. We have gotten ridiculous, crazy, ridiculous feedback on our mafia show. I'll bet. Holy cow, man! Have we? Oh man, I, you, didn't, you didn't get any uh, horse heads. Wake up there. No, the none so far. None, no, uh, none delivered by Amazon or UPS. We we both still have all, all our fingers. Yep. So far, they're all working. Yep. We're yeah. We've gotten some really great feedback on our mob show. Uh, George Anastasia is actually coming back on September 17th. Uh, we got um, uh, a couple here. of really, really big, well, man, October, November, December is going to be nuts. Uh, September, we've got, you know, of course, we've uh, been promoting this, Dan, September 15th, the, the, the legendary, I mean, we use that word a lot in wrestling, but this guy really right. is. The legendary Dominic DiNucci at 89 years old mm. is going to be on our podcast, audio only. Dominic will not be doing video, but he'll be here with uh, Davey O'Hannon and uh, and a gentleman I mentioned during this show, my friend Nikita Brezhnikov. Oh, nice. Who knows Dominic very well. That's a hell of a panel right there. Yeah, boy. And we've got uh, George Anastasia. Coming back for part two of our mob show on September 17th. That was slated to be Dan the Beast Severn, but Dan is actually building a house on an island right now. Not it sounds like a story, but it's really not. It's a shoot for real. He's building a house. I can't make this shit up. You know, it, it's funny. Don't remember the the guests we had a couple weeks ago that, that had to change some things around because they had discovered a new civilization. Yeah, that, you, the, you, know, you, you you can't make this. We were going to have, and you Dan brings it up. We were going to have a show. I've been looking forward to this show. Damn it, and we never had it. 
It was called The Life, Death, and Life of Jesse James. I had a guy scheduled named Daniel Lowe. He wrote a book called The Life, Death, and Life of Jesse James. And guess what? Daniel Lowe, the summer gun, discovered a friggin' ancient civilization <laughs> in the middle of Montana, of all fucking places, and, uh, and bailed on us. So I yep. had to go ahead and get, like, you know, Vince Russo or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Speaking one of those, of which, like, like, you know, looking at my notes for the for the, the schedules we have coming up, that's one of those, like you say, can't make that shit up. You know, he has exactly. to be telling the truth because no one comes up with that kind of lie. No, I mean, for real. Uh, speaking of Vince Russo, I sent him a couple of Wrestling with the Future t-shirts. Okay. And Stephen Plim's book, Tiny Tim and Mr. Plim. Excellent. Uh, let me tell you who we got coming up. Slated to appear on uh, Wrestling with the Future. And some of this will, uh, some of these guests are going to fill out the rest of 2020. And some will bring in 2021. But we have no less than the, talk about a who's who. A stellar panel. Listen to these names. The aforementioned B. Brian Blair. Brian Pillman Jr. will be back. Beautiful Bruce Swayze. Hacksaw Butch Reed. Female referee in the WWF. First one ever. Mike McGurk. Doc Diamond will be back. Uh, Rock musician. Bass player Donnie Rocket will be here. George Anastasia will return. Hillbilly Jim will join us. Jack Victory is coming back. Uh, Michael Armageddon Murphy will be joining us. Our buddy, Mike Murphy. Stephen Plim is coming back to join us again. As is the return of Vince Russo and one half of the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, will be joining us. Yeah, buddy. What oh, do you man. think? Not too bad. The, the, I, I think I think you just listed half of my favorites growing up. The old man's been overtime working. I'm I, just, I know when you when you called me the other day and told me you had some names, I couldn't have, I couldn't imagine. Brother, let me tell you how many pairs of pantyhose I went through on the street corner. <laughs> with the, you know, okay. This is what when people want to know how I get guests. I stand out there in my short shorts and fishnets, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll interview for food, right? I'm getting no shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I also, and I'm, we're going to talk about this. This is really, really important. Really, really important. We are going to have a medical doctor on the show. He is actually my personal physician. Okay. He is also... As you can imagine, he is also a wrestling doctor. Oh, he cool. is the, I don't mean he wrestles. He's not a Yeah, wrestler. no, I, I knew what you meant. He's a medical person, backstage personnel for, for exactly. Yes, he's that kind of wrestling doctor. <laughs> uh, Dr. David Nydorf is going to be joining us. He again, he is my personal physician, and we're going to talk about uh wrestling injuries. We're going to talk about the, the dangers of uh you know, pre and post concussion syndrome. We're going to talk mm -hmm. a little bit about CTE and uh, we're just going to get into a, a kind of a, um, a crash course in, uh, in, you know, wrestling medicine one Oh one from Dr. Okay. David Nydorf, nice. uh, cur courtesy of uh, Virtua 
medical group uh, in New Jersey. Watch they're all across the country, but uh, Doctor Nidorf will be joining us, and I'm I'm very appreciative of that. So Dan, what do you got going on? What's what's happening in the world of uh, Dan the Man? <laughs> well, just uh, settling in. You know, I was out of town, got some stuff taken care of here. Um, running around trying to get everything back up and running. Um, obviously, you saw the the technical issues I had before the show, which thankfully it looks like we've worked through. Yeah, um, Skype had a but, little bit of a technical. Yeah, it's a Skype's a fickle mistress. Yeah. But um, other than that, getting back into the swing of things, trying to sort out um, you know other other online activities and everything else is just business as usual, as they say, uh, same old shit. I hear you, brother. I hear you. Well, uh, over here on this end of the camera and microphone, uh, the old guy has been busy trying to uh, to put the best shows together that we can. I think we've done a pretty damn good job. We're going to be doing, uh, uh, and Dan and I talked about this on a, a few episodes back, Dan and I are going to be doing a lot more non-wrestling uh, episodes, but with kind of like a wrestling feel. Um, our core, you know, Dan, our core product is always wrestling. We, always we both told everybody right. that. Yeah. And so, uh, for example, when we had uh, George Anastasia on, now you wouldn't think that, you know, uh, that the, what, what connection could there possibly be to George Anastasia? Well, mm-hmm. actually there was quite a few wrestling connections. Len Montana from the Godfather, yep. um, you know, who, uh, was a professional wrestler who performed in the Godfather. Um, of course, you know, wrestling as a uh, front for organized crime yep. to launder money, but and, you know, boxing, wrestling, sports in general, but yes. yeah, wrestling's a big part of that. We, we, um, we grow, so, yeah, growing up, we, there's, yeah, there's a wrestling connection to pretty much everything we do. Um, including with musician rock bassist, Donnie rocket, who, uh, and I encourage you to look him up. Uh, he is on Facebook. His page is called Rocketology. And uh, he is a slamming bass player. His name is Donnie Rocket. I've known him. Oh, my God. I've known Donnie for hard to imagine, almost 40 years. Damn. That's longer than you are old. Yes. And that's saying some shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, folks, uh, another great episode, short, sweet, and to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to try, and that's another thing, we're going to try and keep our episodes to to an hour and maybe an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half tops. Because um, when you have Stephen Plim or Vince Russo, you got to do at least an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Russo's going to, he's going to cut me a promo on that one. Hey, you know what? Um, but we love Vince Russo here, and Vince, Vince will be back. Um, as will Stephen Plim. Oh, that's right. The September 22nd, Stephen Plim's coming back. There you go. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have a good time with Steve Plim talking about, we're going to finish up talking about Tiny Tim, and we're going to talk about personnel management and how you get into show business, uh, you know, management and uh, agenting and, you know, uh, some of the horror stories that Stephen encountered. But he got in because he was a musician, you know, Dan. I don't know if you know right. that. No, he he touched on that how he started. Yeah, he had a rock started band on the stage, right? Yeah, he was a part of a 1960s rock band. They had a couple of records. Um, 
I don't know offhand what they were. I'll have to go Google them. <laughs> but uh, Stephen Flynn will be back on the uh, the 22nd. In the meantime, we uh, encourage everybody happy wrestling. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time on Wrestling with the Future. <laughs>